lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sins of this world. His blood breaks the chain, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him.
the past couple of weeks, I feel like I've really been camping out in Psalms and just um, trying to read it with, with fresh eyes. I've been doing some, some reading and some learning about um, like collectivist communities and how different that is from sometimes our Western word, worldview that's so individual. Like I'm used to reading these Psalms by myself and, and soaking them in. And then um, as I read them, remembering that these would have been shared just like these songs that we've just sung. They would have been known by the people. They would have been sung by the people. And they would have been used as this way of collectively remembering what God has done and using that to, to commit to trusting him to what he hasn't done yet and what we haven't seen yet. So I'm going to read a little bit from Psalm 78. And in the Bible I'm reading right now, the title on this one is called Lessons from Israel's Past. My people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. I'm going to skip down a little bit. It says, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works but keep his commands. And so as we continue singing, we're going to um, sing a little bit about God's, God's reckless love, this, this pursuit that all throughout Israel's past, that's what they were talking about. God has pursued us. We did this, but God was faithful. And so as we sing this together, um, let's remember that not only are, are we reminding God, he hasn't forgotten, but we're also reminding each other of God's faithfulness, his works, because we have generations in our church that are rising up, generations that have not been born yet, that our call is to be faithful and to continue um, sharing God's story in our lives.
light of that, how, how can our response be anything but just reckless abandon in our praise? On this next song, the, the chorus, it can get a little monotonous. It just says, your praise will ever be on my lips. And I'm going to confess that was not true of me this week. But his mercies are new every morning. And so maybe this can be your, your statement, your confession for this week, that his praise will ever be on our lips. I didn't say a fake smile will be plastered on my lips. Life is hard. It's not always great. But his praise can ever be on our lips. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid
the same way that we, we sung together, we declared his praises, we declared the reality of who God is and what he's done, let's continue praying together. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. I'm Bob Shiraldi. I think most of you know me. Paul asked me to talk a little bit about the senior adult Sunday school class. Right now, the sunshine class is engaged in that over there. Right after first service, the fellowship class engages it over here. So I said, okay, what am I going to say? So I made it a little bit easier on myself. I asked them to give me one or two word descriptors of what they feel the Sunday school class is about. And so I have a few of those. We'll be here until about noon. <laughs> oh, um, I'm going to read a few and then I'm going to stretch out a few. Mutual support. But before I go further, what I want you to do is to not just listen to the word, I want you to feel the word. Take it from the brain to the heart and into your core. These are what these people feel. So get, get the feeling going. Encouragement, love, caring, family, unity, perspective. Paul talked about perspective last week. Prayer warriors, when you ask them to pray, there's 20 or 30 people they pray throughout the week. They send cards, they text, they call, they bring meals. They're, they're prayer warriors for sure. Connection. There's a, a couple that comes to our church. Their son lives here in Marysville and their daughter lives in Kentucky. And they split their time. They came to Marysville, they visited four or five different churches. The connection they made in the Sunday school brings them to this church every week. Connection is a very powerful thing. There was another couple a few years back that came for Salina. Sunday school wrapped their arms around them and they're still here. Studying God's word. Hmm. Before I get into studying God's word, I have to tell you that I was of the world. Me and the world were like this. The world and I, I knew the world real, real well. Keep that in mind. Studying God's word, it renews your mind. It nourishes your soul. Now, as I said, I was of the world. Before Terry and I were married, Terry introduced me to Jesus. That changed my life completely. I'm going to tell you, there's no greater gift that you can give, no matter where you are in the world, than introducing someone to Jesus Christ. And that's what Sunday discipleship, I'm changing the word from school to discipleship, does. It matures you to a point where you can say to someone, Jesus is your Savior and King. Now, this next thing, I want it to resonate 
into your mind and your heart again. This one's big. These two Sunday discipleship classes have been meeting in this church for well over 30 years. Think about that. Some of them were in their late 20s and early 30s, and they're still meeting. Because one of the things about it is we come out better than what we went in. Well, now you're probably wondering, I've got all their descriptors, but I haven't told you what mine is. And we're going to keep that a secret for a minute. I have a question. How many people, I want a show of hands here. How many people love Mexican food? Oh, yeah, a lot. You know what I love about a good Mexican restaurant is you go in, you order your drinks, you order your main entree, you know, the meal, and then they come out with the salsa and the chips. You know, the scorching heart, the mild, the meek, and the lame. <laughs> and those chips and salsa, they just whet your appetite. In fact, restaurants know that. It's psychological. The meal seems to taste better. The ambiance is improved. And so you say, well, what does this have to do with how you feel about it? That is my word. Sunday discipleship is an appetizer for the main meal that I will experience when I'm with my King and Savior in heaven. It is powerful. Well, how many of you grew up in the church? Raise your hands. Quite a few. Our Sunday school discipleship group feels very strongly about one thing. They pray that Sunday discipleship in our church right here, right now, would include all ages. All ages. And it is our prayer that this may happen. Now I'm going to leave you with one quick thing. The world. I lived in the world, and this is not book knowledge, this is experience. It'll do three things, and I'm going to talk to your teens, too, about this. But it, it involves everyone. The world is, it'll deceive you. It will deceive you. I've lived that. It would also distort the truth, and especially God's truth. We see that going on every day. And the last one is probably the most powerful one that's going on now. It will distract you. It'll take you. We are the busiest society on the planet. We run, we run here, we run there. Don't let it happen. Now, I'll stand alone on this because I can't represent anyone else. I feel that the children's ministry, the teens ministry, and Sunday discipleship is an imperative in this church. So let that resonate, sit in your heart. Todd Clemens came up here two weeks ago. He talked about time, talent, and treasure. And if you think about that, think about Sunday discipleship, putting your time and your talent into that will give you indeed a treasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I just love your Southern accent. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to bury the lead. You know what it means to bury the lead? To bury the lead is when an article is written, and in the bottom of the article, there's the real gist of the story. And so I'm going to just come out with the lead today. I'm moving towards law practice, 
and there's going to be a transition to a new senior pastor. Uh, I've talked to our district superintendent, I've talked to our church board, and now I'm talking to you, and I've talked to staff, and that is the process. There is an interim period in this. We're looking at January of 2023 to May of 2023. So this is not immediate, not January 2022, okay? January 2023. So we're looking at an interim period. Um, I, I remember at Trenton when I resigned, I did it at the end of the sermon. And after the sermon, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I was with you, and you were preaching, and I was saying amen. And then all of a sudden, I said, wait a minute, he's resigning. And so I thought I would talk to you with that as the lead, and then kind of give you some of the details of what this means. Uh, currently, I'm still covering all my roles. As a senior pastor, as a lead pastor, there's four major roles. There's this Sunday morning, there's staff leadership, uh, there's board leadership, there's meeting with others as is necessary, and there's general pastoral care. And right now, I, I'm still undertaking or trying to do all of those things. Um, for, for the past 18 months, general pastoral care has looked completely different than at any time in the ministry. Uh, you know, the, the days of pastors going to hospitals and nursing homes has really been out the door, and eventually that may come back, but right now that's just not something that I spend a lot of time doing simply because hospitals and nursing homes have not typically uh, been open. Besides the fact, I'm not sure how wise it is for me to go to our most elderly and vulnerable people if there's any risk of me passing anything to them. Initially, I'm not losing any duties, but we're going to be starting looking at transition with uh, the board, uh, with staff, over the next uh, few weeks and months, and perhaps at some point, some of the general pastoral care, I will begin passing on some, to someone. Um, over the next few months, I'm going to be able to cut significantly a portion of the church budget through my pay. Uh, because I'm doing this, I can cut what I'm being paid. Uh, the reality of our church budget, and I think it's important that we understand the reality of our church budget. And when I have my treasurer here, and he can say amen if this is not, or, or correct me if I'm not correct. For the entire time I've been here, our church budget has been extremely tight. And, you know, we, we've not spent any pennies that we can't spend. And, and, and it's been tight from the beginning. You've been faithful. As we went through COVID, you have been faithful, and God has provided other means, and we have made it, and we're thankful, but you can't ignore the writing on the wall that there is the potential uh, with another hiccup, uh, with any decline in giving, as tight as our budget would be, that we would have to make hard decisions on staff or in other ways. And so part of me uh, has have done this in part because I want to give us some breathing room um, some space for decisions, um, space for transition, uh, for the board to, to, to seriously look at um, staff, how staff can be funded, what can be funded, and we can look at these things in a complete way. Why, why the 15 to 18 month period? Uh, last time there was one year between Pastor Whiteford uh, Pastor Paul Whiteford, okay, I don't know how many Pauls there still are out there for you to find, but between Pastor Paul Whiteford and myself. And, and talking to Jeff Kunselman, it does not seem that this will be a quicker process for a lot of reasons. Uh, some of it dealing with just the reality of COVID, some of it dealing with the reality of 
other churches looking for pastors. And so I, I think to say a year out is probably pretty fair to what the transition will be. And this allows us to continue to walk together. Uh, there'll be things that we're working for, working towards. Uh, we went through RAND, and, and these are the top three things that we're going to be working on in the next year. Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. I know that's just one thing. That was for emphasis, okay? Uh, what Bob talked about, and it's, it's interesting that Bob talked about that in his connection moment. What we will be focusing on for the next year is discipleship. We have identified that as our chief problem, our chief issue, the thing that we have to spend the most time in. And so we will be focusing on that. This is not lame duck. Uh, we'll be intensely focusing on discipleship and connection. It's beneficial to me. You know, I'm not stepping into a law practice. I'm building a law practice. And so it'll be beneficial to me, and I believe that it'll be beneficial to you as I build the practice. And as a matter of fact, ushers, if you'll start passing out my business cards. No, that, that, was, that was a joke. This is a tentative plan. And tentative plans are just that. This is something that we're praying through, we're talking through, we're working through with staff and board. If, if you find someone quicker then we'll adjust the plan. If I become overwhelmed, we'll adjust the plan. If it doesn't work for the church, we will adjust the plan. This is a tentative plan, but we felt pretty good. I believe the church board that was there, I think we felt pretty good about the plan as it was laid out. Um, eventually, a new pastor will be elected. Uh, there'll be a gap between me and the next pastor. Uh, typically, Jeff wants at least a month. So you don't, you don't boot me out one week and the next week have a new... So there'll probably be at least a one-month period of transition between me and the next pastor. So I would say this. Expect at least a year. Pray for quicker. Uh, pray that God's will will be done. Pray that this will not be about agendas, but God's will. Uh, after, the, after I get done preaching, Harold Green and Beth Straw will come up to give you a brief description of the process. Many of you have been through this process before, so you understand how it works, but they're, they're going to give you a brief description. It's important to understand, I do not lead the process of finding my replacement. You know, I, I'm not trying to find who's going to replace me. I'm not trying to find an heir apparent. Our good district superintendent, Dr. Kunselman, works with the church board in that process and Harold and Beth will explain that a little bit further a little bit later. You know, there's a lot to digest, but I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about how I arrived at this place in my life, how I arrived at this point. You know, I called this sermon GPS, and, uh, you know, we, we've all had uh, GPSs, and, you know, they're driving, they give you the next turn. They don't give you, most GPSs don't give you three turns in advance, right? They give you the next turn. Um, you know, I, I use the phrase GPS, and I, and, and I thought, you know, God works like a GPS. And I thought for a while, maybe I'll do something with the word GPS and, and make that an acronym for God's positioning system or something. But I thought, you know, I'm about done with this preaching, all these stupid acronyms I can let go of, right? So you guys can play with that later. But God works like a GPS. He, he doesn't always give us clear routes. It's, it's not always apparent where he's leading us. 
And I think about the, the children of Israel and they leave Egypt and they're in slavery and God takes them way out of the way to get them to the Red Sea. Sometimes God takes us in a route that's not direct. The scripture that's been going through my mind is this, Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Can I be honest? I don't like that verse. I don't like the voice behind me saying, turn here and turn there. I like direction to be bright and in front of me, the path clearly laid out, seeing where I'm going. I like that much better. I like God as a pillar of light, a pillar, a cloud in front of me saying, okay, that's where I'm going. This business of standing behind me and saying, hey, turn right, turn left, is a little bit scary. But the truth is, i found that oftentimes God leads just like that. So, so where does my story begin? Where does my transition begin? In February of 2019, I attended M19. And at M19, it seemed like every small group thing I went to, every, every study I went through, there was, there was some missionary Uber driver. You guys have heard of these. These guys that, and gals that are out in their Ubers and they're driving people and they have the Christian music and, and they're praying. And they talk about all these God encounters with people out just in the world. And, and God just began to lay that on my heart, that, that, that I had this desire to be out, not just in my church office, but be out in the community. And so I talked to the board, and they gave me permission to begin to pursue some different things. And so the first thing I did was I worked at Lowe's. I worked in the back, and I put together grills. It was the worst job in the world. It was me and one other guy. And we'd put together like three grills in three or four hours, and it didn't fit my personality. And so I found something else. So I went to FedEx. And I'm throwing packages on a line. I'm driving a truck. I love the job. I never had to think one moment of the time I was at FedEx. And it was a lot like playing Ding Dong Ditch. You would ring the doorbell, and then you'd run to your truck as quick as possible so you didn't have to talk to anybody, right? I loved it. At one point, for a short time, I was Paul Mills PI, private investigator. I was. I had my certification and did some photos of some accident scenes and did some of that and had a lot of fun with it and you know, did some, some interviewing of people. You know, what, why, why those things? Because I'm going to ultimately be doing something that I was trained to do. You know, I thought about that. And I thought about it as I was going through this process of being out. And I can say this because I'm not going to be your pastor a whole lot longer, but I hope you hear me here. I would hope churches would give their pastors freedom to do this. And not immediately start thinking, okay, can we cut their salary? And you guys didn't do that. I appreciate that. I wish you would give pastors the freedom just for a few hours to be out in the workplace. But most have sacrificed a lot to go into the ministry. Let them make a little bit of extra money. Make them feel good about earning money. Can, can I tell you, my personality, I don't really like depending on people. I know that sounds weird from a pastor, but you know, you can get in this state where you feel like you depend on everybody else. And there's something about a hundred bucks that you just went out and earned that helps you. And besides that, it gives us an opportunity to practice what we preach. 
week after week after week, I come in here and say, you are missionaries where you've been sent, where you're working. And it gave me an opportunity to put that to work. And can I tell you that at FedEx and at Lowe's, not so much in the PI work, but at FedEx and Lowe's, there was opportunities that God gave me that I wouldn't have had if I wouldn't have been there. Say, well, why didn't he just send you out into the law practice? And I, and I think the reason is this. I think pastors will hear me say this and say, oh, well, yeah, you can go be a lawyer. But can I be honest? I was happy at FedEx. <laughs> this is the greatest job I ever had. You know, just ringing doorbells and running to my truck. But God was moving me further down the road. Um, someone just in passing mentioned to me, why don't, why don't you reactivate your law license? And can I be honest, I, I've not thought about that for years. It wasn't even on my radar. I remember, I remember practicing law, but, but it wasn't even something on my radar. And then I, I did that in August of 2019. That was the time it needed to be reactivated to be on the, the, the annual, the, the yearly time. And, and then in Christmas 2019, I preached a sermon series on Micah 6.8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And I realized that I talked more about justice than doing justice. And, I, and God began to work within me this idea, is there a way I could use my law skills, uh, my pastoring uh, learning, <laughs> to do justice? I talked to my niece, Janelle. She's my older brother, Virgil's daughter, and, and she's a lawyer in Brayton, Florida. And so I reached out to Janelle and kind of talked to her what God was working through. And she goes, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. But I'd, I'd say, Uncle Paul, she calls me Uncle Paul, maybe you need to be practicing some before you do that. Before you go out and try to just do some justice stuff, maybe you need to be practicing law as well. So, so I talked to the board. And we, we, I started Mills Law Offices. That's right. Uh, my tax preparer hates me, uh, Terry, because of all the 1099s and W-2s. I found space, a phone number, malpractice insurance, doing my CLEs, spending money. Uh, I, I did not make any money on that. I lost money on that, but, you know, it was, it was good. I, I was contacted by a firm in Florida needing local counsel and federal court. And so I'm a member of the bar of the Southern District of Ohio. And so, so they retained me for three cases. And, and, and then they were saying, hey, look, we have stuff all over Ohio. We'd be interested in you being local counsel all over Ohio. And so uh, I, I, I'm not a member of the Northern District, but I can do that by motion. And, and so I reached out to Tony Eufinger. And um, I, I'd, I'd seen Tony uh, throughout the years at Good Friday services. I, I had a passing acquaintance with him. And so I reached out to, with, to him just to find out if he was a member of the Northern District Court, if he wouldn't mind to make a motion so that I could become a member of that. He said, let's do lunch. And we did lunch. And he said, you know, I, I have a lot of stuff that I'd like to roll you into. There's things you can do here. So since October or November, just on a part-time basis, I've been doing closings and a few other things with Ufinger Law. Uh, the lawyers I've worked for in the past have been excellent. Uh, in Dayton, I worked for Wilbur Lang. Uh, in, in Dayton, at the time I was there, if you were a litigator in Dayton, Ohio, somehow you, you, came, you were connected to Wilbur. Wilbur was an excellent lawyer. Marilyn Dunoff was an 
excellent lawyer. Bob O'Neill was an excellent lawyer. I worked with excellent lawyers, but they were hardcore. Uh, Dayton was, was not a city that you would love. And, and I'll brag on Tony just a little bit. Um, many of you know him. He's unique. He's Marysville, and he loves Marysville. He's a good man and a Christian man. I could not have stepped back into a law practice with the lawyers I worked with before, not because of their ethics or their skill. They were highly skilled, but their priority was the bottom line. I'm reminded of Jay Hall. Jay Hall played basketball at Mount Vernon, and before he went to Mount Vernon, he played at a Mac school. I don't know if any of you knew Jay, but, but Jay was at this Mac school, and the, and the basketball coach said, hey, Jay, what are your priorities? And he said, well, God, family, school, and basketball. Sounds pretty balanced, right? And the coach went, no, it's got to be basketball, 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 basketball. And Jay quit that Mac school and went to Mount Vernon and played. And I feel like with lawyers, most lawyers would say, your priority is law, law, law. And Tony's different. Tony's told me many times as we went through this process, whatever you need to do, I understand, whatever you need to do. Uh, last week, Darlene uh, McFarland passed away. And, and he, he said to me, you know, I told him, hey, Tony, I'm going to be going over here. She's, she's passing away, and you know, I'm going to spend some time, and you know, maybe may doing that funeral, and if, if they want me to. And, and Tony, same as always, whatever you need to do. See, he, I've watched him. He loves his community. I, I watch people come into his office and knock on his door and him take time with them, not in my, in, in my opinion, just simply because he loves people and he loves his town. So this last year, getting to know Tony, trying to determine next, I realized this was somebody I could probably work with. I didn't know if that would be in the future. That We hadn't talked about that. But just in passing at one point, I said, Tony, you know, at some point, God may be calling me more full-time towards this. And his response is, when can you start? <laughs> um, so as you can see, this wasn't something that necessarily was pursued, but it just felt like God all over this from the beginning. I shared that story with Jeff Kunselman uh, two weeks ago. When I came back to the law office, I had a closing, I, I kind of went in and I talked to Tony. I said, Tony, I was just sharing this with the DS and where we're going. And he said, Paul, I'll go further than that. I met you at Nationwide Hospital after Otto and Oliver were born. And Thad shared your story with me and where you came from. And I said then, hmm, someday, See, for all these reasons, it's hard for me not to see the hand of God. Um, what's next? In some ways, this feels like retirement from a senior pastor role. Uh, truthfully, I don't think I'll ever retire. I think Ingrams will have my retirement party. I don't have any hobbies. I don't hunt or fish. I'm, I don't golf well. And to golf well, you have to have a job to be able to afford to golf. I like to exercise, but I can't hardly do more than an hour of exercise. I, I like to read. Uh, last year, year on vacation, I'm sorry, I'm getting weepy.
Last year on vacation, I decided, well, I'm not going to read anything that goes to any of my occupations or any of the things that I lead in. I'm going to read something just contemporary. So I read a contemporary book by, an, by an, a, a writer that was well-known, one of his best books, and all I can say was, is, it was not Hemingway. It was predictable and bad. And my occupations allow me to read. And I like to work. The, the, the truth is, and Terry gets mad when I say this, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. When, when, when I've practiced law, when, when, I, when I've been a lawyer, when I worked at FedEx, I never felt like work. They paid me for it, but I guess that's the definition of work, right? And even now, I am standing up here. This is my job. I, I get to communicate, meeting with people, doing closings, law work. It's never felt like work to me. I've always liked it. So I've been wrestling with what's next. In, in 1998, the question was, lawyer or pastor? Currently, I've been wrestling with that lawyer and pastor. But more and more, God's taken the and out of it. It's just lawyer, pastor. Um, most of you know our daughter-in-law is uh, Jim Ratcliffe, Dr. Ratcliffe's daughter. And uh, Jim Ratcliffe was, of course, a missionary doctor in Papua New Guinea. And, uh, you know, they never called him a missionary and a doctor. What do they call him? A missionary doctor. Why not missionary lawyer? Is there a space that God is leading me where these things come together in a unique way? Um, you know, I'm unique and weird, and you guys know that. But in the Church of the Nazarene, I talked to the Nazarene Foundation two weeks ago. In the Church of the Nazarene, there are three people that are pastor, lawyer. I'm one of three. And, and so I'm wondering where God's taken me. Can, can I be honest? I don't know exactly where this is going. It's that voice behind me. I wish it wasn't. I'd like to say, or I don't know if I'd like to say, but I, it'd be easy to say this is my last senior pastor because I'd like to stand before you and say, listen, I, I'm, I'm walking away from this, but, but I've learned never say never to God. You know, I never thought I'd practice law again. I, I can tell you my last court appearance before I reactivated my license. It was an oral argument in the federal district court, the court of appeals, the sixth circuit court of appeals, an oral argument for the judges in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the paneling went all the way up and they had artwork of U.S. Grant where U.S. Grant was bigger in the artwork than he was in real life. It was awesome. And I can remember going through that process thinking, man, what a great way to end. I'll never do this again. So I think it's not wise to say never. And I think the point is this. God is more interested in our obedience than our declarations. He's more interested in us just saying yes to wherever we are. For, for nearly eight years, I've taught a pretty consistent thing that there's no division between the sac sacred and the secular. God, God wants our work life to be for him. He wants our family life, and he wants all aspects of our life to be about him. It's where he's calling me. I think he's calling me to that kind of place. I've always been told, if you can't live it, don't preach it. 
And I feel for eight years I've been preaching the same thing. My life first remains my life first. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm going to ask Harold and Beth to come up and they're going to give you some descriptions of the transition. And I think Brian is going to close us in prayer. The, the church board will lead the process under the direction of the district superintendent, uh, Jeff Kunselman. And the process can take up to 12 months. I think last time it took 11 months when we hired uh, Pastor Paul from the time Paul Whiteford left. Uh, <clears throat> I've been through two of these. Both times we hired someone named Paul. So hopefully this time we'll have somebody different. We'll have to start calling them Paul 1, Paul 2, Paul 3. But anyway, to get back to the process here, um, the first meeting with the DS should be in January of 2022. And he'll go over the process with the board get our input and we all there also may be surveys of the congregation to get your input as to what you'd like to see in the next pastor and then there will be a second meeting with the uh, DS and he'll provide several resumes if it's like last time of potential candidates for the job the board will review those with the DS determine which ones we think will fit and sometimes you usually call I mean not call but uh, interview two to three people after those interviews, the board will vote on one candidate to recommend to the congregation. And, and that time, <clears throat> that candidate may come and meet everyone, have a small message, and maybe have a, a, a dinner or fellowship afterwards so you get to know that candidate. After that, probably the next week, there will be a vote of the congregation, church members. It has to be at least two-thirds vote in order to call that person to come. If that vote isn't two-thirds or more, we will let the district superintendent know. He will notify that candidate, and that candidate then has 15 days to decide whether he wants to accept the call. If so, at that point, it'll be probably four. To, he has to give notice to his church, usually four to six weeks, and then he would come here. I, there's usually, I think, a, Dr. Kunselman likes about a month between the time Paul Mills would leave and the next person. Basically, that's the process. I don't think I've missed anything. So, so if you have any questions, you can talk to us, talk to Pastor Paul, or any of the board members. If any board members here, I'll make you stand up so they'll know who you are. Please stand up. So. Anyway, if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me. I know sometimes you may think I'm not the friendliest guy in the world, but I'm sort of socially, I'm sort of socially inept, so you just come up to me. I'll actually talk to you. <laughs> so Brian's going to close us in prayer.
If you would, pray with me. Let's pray together. Father, we began our service um, asking to hear from you. Um, that was the word of our prayer at the very beginning, that we would hear you speak to our heart, Lord, as we worshiped and as we sang, as we expressed our thanks for what you've given us and for the ways that you work in our lives, seen and unseen. And Lord, we have heard so much today about how you are working in Pastor Paul's life, Lord, seen and unseen, and how you continue to work in our lives, seen and unseen. Lord, there's a lot to take in today. There's a lot to consider. There's a, last, a lot that we've heard. But Father, we just continue to pray. It's simple, but it, it, it's what we mean. Lord, hear our prayers, hear our thoughts, so that we can hear you direct us and guide us. Father, this is a, a decision and, and, a, and a congregational input type of thing, but Lord, I'm convinced that each and every one of us plays a role in how this church operates. Each and every one of us is part of this community. And so, Father, I just pray that you continue to work in our lives to the very best of this community, to the very best of this church, whatever that means. Lord, suggest things to us that we need to hear, bring thoughts to our mind that are not our own, and allow us to operate, Lord, with your love in our hearts to the best of this community through this transition and, and beyond. Guide us in the way that we try to plan and try to help and try to be what you need us to be. All of us, Pastor Paul, all of us, God, guide us in who we need to be in this situation, in this process, in this transition, in the life of our church, in the life of Marysville. Lord, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that you love us in the midst of confusion and in the midst of clarity. And so, God, we just lean on you this morning, listening to you. We lean on you, Lord, to help us in all things and all ways. It's your name we thank you and praise you. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good day.